Today's show is brought to you by HBO. HBO's Silicon Valley is as timely as ever as Pied Piper founder Richard Hendricks pivots to build a decentralized internet free of ads and data tracking. But as the saying goes, new internet, new problems. Watch new episodes of Silicon Valley Sundays at 10 p.m. on HBO. I watch it every week. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as someone who measures the only thing that matters, and that's how many followers I have on Twitter, which is a lot. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is John Doerr, someone I've known a very long time, as we just figured out. He's the chairman of the venture capital firm Kleiner Perkins Caulfield and Byers. He was an original investor in Google and Amazon. He remains a board member at Google. But today he is the author of the book, Measure What Matters, How Google, Bono, and the Gates Foundation Rock the World with OKRs. John, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you. And also joining us today on Recode Decode is Teddy Schleifer, Recode's finance editor. Hi, Teddy. How are you hey, doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Good. So, John, we have lots to talk about. And again, we were talking about how long we've known each other. Um, I'm going to force you to talk a little bit about your background because not everybody knows who the great John Doerr is. So um, why don't we just sort of ver- do a very quick how you got here? Because it's a lot about your, the, your book is a lot about how you got where you got, especially your time at Intel and things like that. Sure. So I'm an electrical engineer from a middle-class family in mm-hmm. Missouri who came to uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, trying to find my ex-girlfriend and, <laughs> and to get a job somewhere in the computer industry. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, my overarching goal was to start a company. Mm-hmm. I heard VCs had something to do with that. So mm-hmm. I figured I'd apprentice myself to one of them, and naturally, they all turned me down. Right. But one of them said, we just funded a, a new— Which, ch- Who turned you down? Everybody. Everybody. Yeah, okay. Although Dick Kramlick was very kind. Yep. He, he, he was with Arthur Rock, and he said, we just funded a company in Santa Clara by the name of Intel. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go talk to them? So mm-hmm. I cold called my way into the highest person I could find, mm-hmm. Bill Davidow. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I had a, a summer job mm-hmm. working in Andy Gross and organization. What did you do? What I wrote benchmarks to show mm-hmm. that Intel's chips were faster than Motorola's. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the amazing thing about that summer, well, there were really two things. Uh, my ex-girlfriend had a job down the hall. She, mm-hmm. was, she was not amused when I oh, showed no. up. Oh, no. It's kind of stalkery, John. <laughs> well, I was looking for her. Okay. And by the end of the summer, right. we, we put put that together. And uh-huh. uh, and then I also got to work with Andy Grove, uh-huh. who, who's been called the greatest manager of his right. or any other era. Mm-hmm. And he, he told me something that I've never forgotten. He said, coming from Fairchild, the great mm-hmm. research lab, he said, John, it almost doesn't matter what you know at Intel. It's execution that's everything. Mm -hmm. And so Andy invented a superb system for execution Mm -hmm. for teams, uh, which he called IMBOs. Mm -hmm. But this is really crucial, Kara, because you know in the semiconductor industry, Mm -hmm. thousands of people have got to get lines just a millionth of a meter wide right where nothing works at all. Right. And uh, I... Uh, took Andy Gross lesson when I left Intel. What did what did that stand for? I I Intel's version of management by objectives, but okay. it, it couldn't be more different. Yeah, man, it, it was different in every way from everybody else. Well, and from conventional MBOs, which mm-hmm. Hewlett Packard and Peter Drucker right. and everyone had invested, mm-hmm. those were centrally planned, top-down objectives that you paid bonuses against, mm-hmm. and. OKRs are exactly the different, the, mm-hmm. the opposite. They're mm-hmm. uh, distributed. Uh, you don't use them for bonuses. They are. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is, uh, I, I think many of us set goals the wrong way, mm-hmm. and most of us aren't even setting goals at all. Mm-hmm. So Andy Grove had had this system 
which I then took to almost 100 organizations, kind of like Willie Lohman with mm-hmm. my slide set. Mm-hmm. And some of them embraced them, and they were transformational. Mm-hmm. Others of them struggled with them. They didn't work, and some didn't even try. So, so we're going to get into what they are and how they do that. But first, you, so you were you were at Intel how, and stayed there as an engineer. Right. How did you make the transition? Well, I was an engineer, and then I worked in marketing and, mm-hmm. and, and sales. I loved all the jobs that I had. Mm-hmm. And, and one day someone called and said, uh, hey, there's this outfit, uh, Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield, and Byers, and they'd like to hire a gopher, uh, a junior associate who would look at business plans and do whatever needed to be done. And um, I, I leapt at the opportunity because they promised me they'd back me starting uh, my own company. That was really my objective. The idea, and the company was what? What was your company? It was called Silicon Compilers, mm-hmm. and my co-founder was Dr. Carver Mead from mm-hmm. Caltech, mm-hmm. and we made software that produced the first Ethernet uh, uh, chip, the mm-hmm. first raster ops graphic chip for Sun Microsystems computers. And I was the founding CEO, ran it for maybe a couple of years until I hired somebody way better than me right. to run the business. So, But you were also a venture capitalist this time? or no? Well, I kind of took a leave from Kleiner to Kleiner do that. Kleiner to do yeah. that. Yeah. And what was your gopher time like? What was that? Uh, well, it was incredibly exciting because mm-hmm. right around the 1980s, that was the beginning of the microprocessor sure. personal computer wave. And so... Mm-hmm. We were able to invest in Lotus software and in compact computers and uh, other software companies that mm-hmm. Intuit, you know, that preceded the Internet. And uh, I could spell microprocessors, so I had an <laughs> advantage. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to spell that well. Someone else could spell it for you. But So you did this, but you stuck with venture capital and didn't stick with creating companies. I mean, although you are creating companies as a venture capitalist, but you know, yeah. you see my I, point. I've, I've always been way more interested in, in the building of businesses than the money or the investing in them. Mm-hmm. And Kleiner let me take some other sabbaticals at, for another spell in my career. I left Kleiner and worked at Sun Microsystems when mm-hmm. we were launching the Spark Station. And that was because that was I figured, how can I advise people, entrepreneurs who've got a thousand person organization if I've never managed one on my own? Mm-hmm. So I went there and was terrified, but I used OKRs as a way to set goals and empower our team. And and, and stretch and fail and do some amazing things. Mm-hmm. But mostly you stayed a venture, because then you went to venture capital full-time. Well, at, at one point, Ann and I decided that we really wanted to have a family, and if we were going to be serious about that, I couldn't both do Sun Microsystems and do Kleiner Perkins mm-hmm. part-time, so I had to choose. Mm-hmm. And so, and that started sort of the... And then I chose venture capital as opposed right. to Sun. But what I mean is it started really your your big investment push, I think, which most people know you for, which was mm. Amazon, Google. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And how, talk a little bit about that that period, and then I want to get to the book itself. So the internet had been around for a while, mm-hmm. but the idea that you could use a browser and images, mm-hmm. pictures, and links right. to click to get wherever you wanted opened the internet up for everyone to mm-hmm. use. And that happened really with the Mosaic browser at the right. University of Illinois. Mark. Mark uh, Mark Bark and Clark, actually. <laughs> yep, <laughs> so that's right. Mark Andreas and Jim Barksdale and, and the founder, Jim Clark, who mm. was a real force uh, to be reckoned with. Absolutely, 100%. He still is, yeah. actually. And when I and others saw what was possible there, it it was like a tsunami of, of opportunity. And it, within a few years, that led to Amazon. It led to Google. It led to all kinds of companies that either adapted to that and exploited it or, or they got left behind. And what did you see in Amazon and Google? Because those were huge bets you made that paid off rather significantly. Yeah, so uh, 
the headline is I saw amazing entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. amazing entrepreneurs. But more than that, um, I saw explosive growth. Uh, Jeff Bezos, I remember meeting him in uh, a loft that was Amazon's headquarters mm-hmm. in a very seedy part I of Seattle. I remember the seat. I it went was, with him to pick that office. It, so. Really? Yeah. Well, it was opposite the Free mm-hmm. Needle Clinic, yeah. as you'll yeah. remember. Yeah, and, and so Jeff, who uh, was a Princeton grad and from the hedge fund D.E. Shaw, he was mm-hmm. a quant, he was. came bounding down from that second floor loft with mm-hmm. his booming voice. And, and he and I both studied computer science, and so we... We hit it off, and I'm usually pretty quick to judge whether or not I want to get in trouble with mm-hmm. someone or not. Because well, what was it? What was the thing that you judged them on? Uh, you just kind of them. character, mm-hmm. resilience, uh, and also their attitude towards building a team. Mm-hmm. You know, if they uh, nobody does these things by themselves, mm-hmm. and so their uh, commitment to assemble an outstanding technical and leadership team, I think, is the difference in executing. And the theme of this book is right. execution's everything. Right. Ideas so, are easy. So let's talk about that. Sure. So, so just for, for starters, I mean, you say, you say in the book that um, for a long time you've been preaching about OKRs, but you felt like you, you weren't getting the job done. I would love to hear just about kind of, you know, re- reflecting on, you know, you know, whether it was with Bez Bezos or with Larry and Sergey, like what the challenges were in kind of getting people to adopt your line of thinking. Um, and, you know, what, it's, it's, it's interesting you kind of open with, you know, self-critical remark that you felt the need to write the book because you weren't getting the job done. Like, what was so hard about it? Shouldn't people be naturally taking your advice? So let's start with what they are. So people who don't know, explain what they are. Okay. So uh, there's three fundamental questions you must answer. The first is why. And the book's a little light on this topic, Mm -hmm. but why has everything to do with our values? and our mission, and I think is a particularly relevant question at this moment in time. We're going to return to that. Okay. Uh, But objectives and key results are the answers to the question, what I want to have accomplished and how I'm going to get it done. Mm -hmm. What and how, objectives Mm -hmm. and key results. And this is with full credit to Andy Grove. I did not invent, you know, one angstrom of this Mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, The what uh, for a good objective is something that must be significant, mm-hmm. concrete, action-oriented, and inspirational. Mm-hmm. But it need not be specific. So an example would be Sundar in 2008 took on an objective to build the next generation platform for web applications. Mm-hmm. Or in other words, build the world's best browser. Mm-hmm. Now, the key results then Picking the right key results is really crucial. Right. And this is ahead of time. The key results you want to have happen. Well, it, really good key results are strategic and time-bound. They're aggressive but realistic. Mm-hmm. But most of all, they're measurable and verifiable. Mm-hmm. So, again, with the best browser example, Sundar chose numbers of users and latency or, mm-hmm. or speed. He could have right. chosen a lot of other things. He could right. have chosen downloads, revenues, click-throughs. But when he picked those, he knew that if he achieved those, and they started with nothing, mm-hmm. he would demonstrably get the world's best browser. So for three years, he had the same objective. Mm-hmm. But each year after that, he raised the key result. The first year, I think it was in 2007, it was 20 million users, and he only got 10. Right. The next year, he raised it to 50 million, mm-hmm. and he only got 35 million, but that was 70% of the goal. I'll come back to that. 
The third year, he upped the ante once again to 100 million users, and this time with better technology, a superb marketing campaign and distribution deals, he blew it away. He got to 111 million users. And if you and I reflect back on what the internet mm -hmm. was like in 2007, mm -hmm. it was slow. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so to have an open source free kind of browser. Now, now, why did I say picking the right goal is yeah. so important? I think we're at a moment in time where our leaders and some of our great institutions are failing us. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, it's because they're bad or they're unethical. In other cases, though, I think they've picked the wrong objectives. They've led us to those, and that's led us to totally unacceptable outcomes. Let's talk about the idea of what results you pick, because you say Sooner picked late and it's picked numbers of— Suppose he picked click-throughs. Yeah. Okay, and then he optimized the browser to maximize click-throughs, mm -hmm. as opposed to something that was a better reflection of overall user satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So how do you decide that? Because you can pick ah, any key results. Okay, yeah. so OKRs are not a silver bullet. Mm -hmm. They are not a substitute for either strong culture mm -hmm. or stronger management. But when you have those fundamentals in place, this system all the time will take your team to the mountaintop. Because just, it's a map or? It, it has a lot of properties. Like a map. That, that are powerful. Well, there's actually five things that it delivers for you. The first is focus. So you're only allowed to pick a small number of objectives and key results. Mm -hmm. The fewer, the better. I'd say three to five objectives, mm -hmm. and they can be long-lived, and then maybe three key results per objective. Okay. Remember, objectives are the what, key results are the how. And if I achieve those hows, those key results, I will provably get to the objective. So picking the few ones OKRs are not the sum of all tasks. Mm -hmm. It's not everything you're trying to do inside Vox or inside Recode. Right. It's the few things that really matter. Right. So they allow you to focus. The next thing that they do is they align your organization. I, I love Aaron Levy. He's he said to me something along the lines of... This is the boxy. Yeah, at any given time, about 30% of the people are working on the wrong things. Right. It's just hard to know which ones they are. Right, right, right. And so you align everybody's work by making these public and transparent. And if we go to the average company in America, just the very idea that the goals are all transparent and public, that's revolutionary. That's mm -hmm. a big change. Uh, the third thing, let's see, they're uh, focused, they're aligned. Uh, they get a level of commitment that's extraordinary. And here's the key. The most times that I've seen the system fail is when the CEO or the leader of a business right. unit doesn't personally commit. So uh, we tell the story in the book about uh, Sundar. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, the better story is to tell you about Larry and Sergey. Mm -hmm. I introduced these to them in 1999. Right. They were 24 years old. They were in Susan Wojcicki's garage. Say? Yeah, they were. I remember. <laughs> I went through my slideshow with them, and I, I said, okay, so what do you think? And Sergey enthusiastically said, we'll do it. Mm -hmm. He well, just wanted the money, but go well, ahead. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, not quite. Actually, okay. actually, what he said was, we don't have any better way to manage this company, so right. we'll, we'll give this a try. All right, okay. And, and I took that as an endorsement. Mm -hmm. Here's the point. Every quarter since then, every Googler has written down her objectives and key results. Mm -hmm. And they've posted them internally. And they've graded them. And then at the end of a quarter, they toss them aside. 
They're not used for bonuses. They're not used for promotions. Instead, they're for a higher purpose, which is a kind of collective commitment. Right. A social contract that I'm going to try to do these things aligned so with and focused on. when people are making them except on their own, they might not align with everyone else. Like, so what you do, yeah. you don't have time to cascade everyone. Right, right. Uh, you do have time to set some big ones for the company mm-hmm. and then let everybody else at each level set their own. And so it's a distributed system. who then system. decides which ones should be? Uh, you, your team, and right. the person you work for. Work right. for. All right. So, so why do you think companies, um, do, you know, decline to do this? I mean, if obviously in this in the situation, well, sometimes Sergey was excited about it, but yeah. I'm sure there have been companies that over time that say, you know, John, I don't know if I agree, or why should this be a priority? I mean, what's what's the you know the counter argument to to why to impose this kind of management system in the first place? Or when you, when you're talking with CEOs, what's the resistance you get? Some, some, tell us the story of one that didn't work, that didn't like that they. Oh, people that failed using OKRs. Or fail or failed to, fail to implement them. them, yeah. Failed to try them at all. Mm-hmm. Or tr- or try them and didn't work. Hmm. Those are three different questions. Teddy said, like, what ha- what is what why do companies not do them? So uh, sometimes the the founder CEO is just not that disciplined. Mm-hmm. You might have seen that from yes. time to time. And yeah. they won't commit to using it. And mm-hmm. if they don't value it, the organization knows in a heartbeat. Right. So uh, Jeannie Kim's company, Nuna, struggled with them in the beginning. They were very helpful to get, get some focus. Um, but it wasn't until Jeannie said, I'm going to stand up every quarter and put my personal OKRs out there right. in addition to the companies, And I'm going to grade them. That Grade it, them at the end, whether you At the end of every quarter, right. done or not done. And, and let me then finish on, on the two other properties mm-hmm. that, that this system delivers. Because one is it allows for tracking. So you can track your progress along the way. And by the way, common sense prevails. If, if something mid-quarter is no longer important, just drop it. Mm-hmm. And if you get to the end of the quarter and you didn't get it done, then roll it forward. This is nothing other than a tool. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a system. The fifth and final property, though, is the one that I really love. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's to set stretch goals so that you decide as a culture that at Recode, it's okay to fail. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to do things, and, and if we get 70% of them done, that's, right. that's a good grade. Right. If you consistently get everything done, you were probably sandbagging. Meaning not enough goals. Not stretching enough. Right. Not stretching enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if you only get 20% done, that's another kind of problem. And it takes time to build goal muscle and, and to get good at this. I think as Larry Page said, I would rather have a team aimed to land on Mars and know that if I'm going to fall short, we can still get to the moon. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then your moon was your original objective, right? Maybe. No, his objectives. Was, he, he, was I, I think he's the high priest of 10x. So, so when you talk about the measuring, how do you, when you say you grade them and then throw them out. The grades don't count for anything. I get it, but they do count because if you don't achieve them, I mean, you. I, I, know, they, I know within companies they do, when you don't meet your OKRs, it's, it's a problem in some companies. Well, well you, you set what's a good threshold, like mm-hmm. 70%. Right. And, and in fact, of course, the Google engineers don't just measure them to 70%. They get it to a tenth of a decimal point. Right, And right. they've adapted this so they have both committed OKRs that you need 100% of and aspirational ones where so 70%. So explain the difference between those. So you, you, committed com- means you have to achieve them. Committed is I've got a revenue number. I really need to get 100% of it. And anything short of 100% mm-hmm. is not a good grade. Right. But aspirational ones are stretched. They're nearly impossible to achieve. 
in getting to 70% of them the way Sundar did in his second year mm-hmm. is, is considered a good grade. So when you don't get a grade on it, how do, how do companies, where's the discipline in if you don't reach those goals, I think, is more my question. It's like you, don't, you, you set them and then if nothing's attached to them, what's the point? Because like, usually well, people well, get there, motivated there, there, There's by an intrinsic as opposed to extrinsic right. motivation that is the point. You know, it's pretty amazing that these OKRs have never leaked out of Google or, for that matter, lots of organizations that mm-hmm. use them. They're, they form a kind of social contract. And I think it's because I generated the key results for myself. It's a different – let's say the objective is for, for CARA to be healthy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and your key result then is going to be to complete a marathon right. or a half marathon. Mm-hmm. You're much more likely to succeed at being healthy if you've chosen the key result and especially if you've decided to do it instead of your doctor telling you to do it. Right. That's right. the power of this system. I see. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. I'm not going to run a marathon, John. For a word from our sponsor, but thank you for offering the idea. Um, I'm pretty healthy. Uh, we'll be back in a minute with John Doerr, the chairman of Kleiner Perkins. We're also here with Teddy Schliefer from Recode. Today's show is brought to you by HBO, and today in the red chair is Russ Hanneman. He's one of Silicon Valley's most notorious investors, and he's recently emerged as an aggressive player in the cryptocurrency market. Welcome to the podcast, Russ. Thank you, Kara, and you're welcome, by the way. Uh, For what, exactly? What do you mean, for what? I I basically invented the podcast. (laughs) For what? You invented the podcast? I put radio on the internet. That sounds like a fucking podcast to me. Not that I'm making shit off it. That actually brings me to my first question. The standard internet funding and sales models have served you pretty well over the years. But now you're jumping feet first into ICOs. Why? Kara, this town is filled with assholes getting rich off crypto by doing jack. The Winklevoss twins put in some loose change five years ago. Now they're Bitcoin billionaires. So yeah, I'll buy a ticket for that fucking ride. You don't feel like you've already missed getting in on the ground floor? If I could change the past, I, I wouldn't have a kid at home right now snorting up my ADHD meds. I can only focus on the future. H-O-D-L, bitches. So I'm hearing you already have taken 36 companies to ICO. How have you fared so far? Well, you know, I'll be honest, Kara. It's been down, you know? It's been up. It's, it's been mostly down. You know, 35 of them have, you know, fucking tanked. 35 out of 36. What happened? I mean, this is, this is the game, all right? First, it's the SEC. Then it's one of your founders running away with your cash. Then it's a bunch of fucking hackers deciding that instead of edging in their basements that afternoon, they're going to come after your blockchain. Then one of your CEOs dies like a pussy. Anyway, listen, I'd rather focus on my successes. My success. One of them worked. And what was your ROI on the one that worked? What, radio on internet? No, return on investment. Return on investment. Yeah, I know. It's 300M, all right? That's a million. And it's on some thumb drive in the middle of a landfill. My boys are on it, though. You ever lose a drive with a ton of crypto on it? No, Russ, I haven't. Yeah, you have. Uh, no. But thanks for coming on the show, and good luck with that thumb drive. Watch new episodes of Silicon Valley Sundays at 10 p.m. on HBO. We're back with John Doerr. He's the chairman of Kleiner Perkins. He's also the author of a new book about OKRs. People will explain that to you in a second. We've explained that to you already. We'll talk about it some more. Measure What Matters, How Google, Bono, and the Gates Foundation Rock the World with OKRs. Uh, Teddy? Sure. I would love to get into you know what, what OKRs look like from where you sit as a venture capitalist. I mean, obviously, you have personal OKRs as you know, in your family life and your, uh, in your professional life, but... Um, we'll have to pa- unpack kind of when OKRs might conflict with one another. You know, you might have a goal as a, as a board director for a company. A CEO might have a different OKR. 
How often do objectives kind of clash? And then uh, obviously you serve on a lot of boards. How do you manage that? So I don't write OKRs for companies. I do encourage I companies to do it, but I want the leadership of the company to write those. Right. Do you write them for yourself? Oh, yeah. And I have both professional and personal OKRs. But because staying with companies for, for just a moment, I find that uh, they're very useful for boards because they can ensure that all the stakeholders in the company are on the same page. Mm-hmm. They sanction a kind of conversation in an organization that otherwise often doesn't happen. Let's say we're in a staff meeting and uh, Kara and I are both working for you. Mm-hmm. I can challenge Kara and say, I, I don't think that's aggressive enough. You know, I, I don't, we can take more risks. Can't we stretch further? And mm-hmm. you push back on me. And uh, that depends on the CEO wanting to have that kind of conversation happen. The CEOs find it's a powerful tool to get consensus among their team about what's possible, what's a risk, uh, what is not. I want to come back to boards now. Uh, when an organization has transparent OKRs within their organization, mm-hmm. of course they're going to share them with the board. And then the board members can review those in advance of the meeting right. and not talk about the operating issues in the company. We can talk about the really strategic things that matter. So I find them to be, and more importantly, entrepreneurs who use them find them to be great for communicating and aligning mm-hmm. and great for making sure the board conversations are about things that that really make a difference. Now, I'm going to push back in a little bit about how things are run in Silicon Valley because they do talk a lot about OKRs and we've got these new ways of management and many companies are just not well run. Like they, things happen and then suddenly I'm thinking of what happened at Facebook recently. It's clear something happened in the management of that platform. Um, although they're sort of pushing it out there like I, we have no idea what happened here. Like how how what a surprise this happened when you and you think about Uber you think about a lot of companies and it just seems like they're just badly run or or not run at all or they have a set of ethical guidelines that are are non-existent talk about that because Silicon Valley likes to pride itself on being this sort of these well-run organizations when in fact many many of them are not um, and they're run in a very CEO-centric way. They're run um, a little bit of a cult of personality. Um, they they have you know if you're talking about team building. Um, it's sort of an antithesis to the way we think of a lot of tech companies because they're they're coalesced around the leaders. It's hard to run a company well mm-hmm. if you don't have clear goals, measure your progress against them, share them among your team members, and get the team aligned and working on them. That's potentially the power of this system. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a founder-worshipping culture where you have a narcissistic CEO who's never run anything before and is out of her depth, mm-hmm. then... It's usually him, John, but go ahead, keep going. <laughs> I'm going to not let take women take that one, if you don't mind. Okay, um, let so, me re that I know then. you're saying her. I know you're, but go ahead. So who, go ahead. Who is, who is out of his depth. Right, yeah. Uh, disaster will unfold. But what, 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 There's nothing special about the latitude and longitude of Silicon Valley that right. says leaders there are going to be effective right. if they're not clear in using goals to empower their right. team. But what are the ones that, are there other management systems that do work? Because sometimes a, a, an overwhelming CEO does work. I'm thinking of Apple, although I think they probably are much more of a team than people realize. It's you know a, what I mean? Yes. Much more so. I mean, one time uh, I remember Steve Jobs saying to me, um, they think I'm like Willy Wonka and everybody else is an Oompa Loompa, like, but I'm not. Like, but he kind of was. But it was it was an interesting so, so, team so, was left so, out so, of it. Yeah. So my stance and the point of this book is mm-hmm. this system 
makes teams better, mm-hmm. period. There's other ways to build and run businesses. Right. And uh, by the way, everybody who successfully adopts it, adapts it. They change it tune it up and change it for their own culture. Mm-hmm. And then when you think about other ways of management, when you look around, you put this at Amazon and Google and other, or, or introduced the, the Gates, concept. The Gates Foundation, Gates Foundation. Works, talk, for, works for nonprofits. Talk I took about it to that. Bono's One organization. Right. Talk about Which both one? those. Bono, both of those, the nonprofits. Yeah. So, uh, Bon- Which are, tend to be run rather disorganizedly. As most, from- most nonprofits, as Bill Gates says in the book, mm-hmm. uh, confuse their mission mm-hmm. with their objectives, and right. they never get to specific key results. And when he launched the Gates Foundation, which was a $50 billion nonprofit startup, mm-hmm. one of the most amazing things that's ever happened, uh, he was also still chairman of Microsoft. Right. And how could he keep track of everything that was going on? Well, Patty Stonecipher, who you'll remember, Mm -hmm. was the CEO, and they used OKRs and the grading of these every quarter to allow Bill, as he says in the book, to earlier discover, flag whether or not a program was going to be aligned and going for the right objectives. Usually they were because of the system, but sometimes he found they needed course corrections or even to be shut down. Right. So that's the power of the tracking. The tracking of them. But you were of saying programs with so, so and, with, and within a nonprofit works very similar. You say same sort of thing. Like the Bono organization. The Bono organization. So I offered to do the OKR pitch to Bono's one nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And they had two gorgeous objectives. One of which was to eliminate extreme poverty. Stupid poverty. Big, big objective. Yeah, and one of the key results was debt relief for the Mm -hmm. neediest countries, and they tracked that over time, and they achieved it. And the other was to eliminate preventable disease. Uh, And one of the really key measures there was getting antiretroviral HIV drugs, initially Mm -hmm. two pills, uh, principally to women in Africa. Right. So in those two results, okay, those are very large. Like, okay, eliminate debt well, relief. For, so right. those were at the top of the organization. Right. Then at the next level of the organization, someone would say, okay, I'm on the anti-HIV right. objective. That's, that's what I'm aligned with. Mm-hmm. How am I going to get that done? Well, I'm going to make sure the global fund gets funded. Mm-hmm. And one way to fund the global fund is with the RED campaign. And if I'm going to make the RED campaign successful, the most important thing I could do is to get Steve Jobs to put the RED iPhone out. Mm-hmm. And indeed, Apple's been an enormous contributor uh, to that uh, effort. And I, so don't think that, I, don't think, I don't think that would have happened without OKRs. Meaning it cascades down, the ideas right. cascade down, so you don't know. Well, because the, they're not highly specific at the top there. They're highly unspecific or very difficult. At, the, to, at the top, mm-hmm. the key results are absolutely measurable mm-hmm. and verifiable. In fact, if they don't have a number attached with them, they're not good key results. Mm-hmm. One of the things in the book, by the way, is I, I put at the back of it a bunch of resources. So there's, a, there's an internal guidebook mm-hmm. on how Google <laughs> sets them. There's timelines. And, and, and I'll mention, this is not a business book. Mm-hmm. This is a handbook, and it's only been out for a little over a week. But mm-hmm. the feedback I've gotten is people are underlining it, reading it, put, putting stickies in it, mm-hmm. and, and using it, adapting it to be better at making their teams better. As Campbell said, we we got to be better every day. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that because you also talk about some of your mentors in the book. Bill Campbell was one of them. The book's dedicated Andy, to— It seems like a dedica- bookend of Andy Grove and Bill Campbell, which the, is interesting. The book's dedicated to— two of the most amazing leaders that mm-hmm. I, I was exposed to, mentored by Andy Grove, 
And tell and, me why that Campbell. is. So tell me why each of those, what they well, did for well, you. Well, Andy, as I, as I told you, Andy said to uh, young, inexperienced John Doerr, it almost doesn't matter what you know. Mm-hmm. What matters is how you get teams to work together, how you execute, right. how you deliver. And Kara, you've seen this throughout mm-hmm. this valley. It was so many great ideas, yep. but they don't know how to execute. Yep. Andy was an engineer. I've seen a lot of bad ideas and do execute <laughs> yeah, we, them. I mean, we have those as well. <laughs> pet rocks. Yeah, you know? <laughs> well, we didn't do but, pet rocks. That wasn't us. But Yeah. Andy was an engineer, a great manager but also an educator. Mm-hmm. And he, took, he thought the role of a leader was to educate the organization. And so he taught a course at Stanford, which in my view didn't really scale, but he, he taught something called IOPEC, which was Intel's organization, philosophy and economics. And through that, he propagated the culture, the all important answer to mm-hmm. the question, why? Why is it we do what we do? Um, the book is less about Bill Campbell. Yeah. So I put a, a an afterword or a mm-hmm. dedication into Well, him. he had a huge impact on people because one of the things you're talking about is, as we were talking earlier in the story in the Washington Post, the people met, the people part of the equation. And I think Bill, for those who don't know, Bill Campbell was a um, was an executive. He was um, he was a lot of things to a lot of people. But one of the things that highlighted his later life was uh, his advice to major executives in Silicon Valley. Um, who who used him as a coach, which is why he was called coach. He also coached. Uh, was it football or, or, or? He was the uh, quarter, he was the coach at Columbia University yeah, yeah. with a pretty lousy record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he ended up so, being chairman of the board at Columbia and a University. Very, uh, huh. Avuncular, very interesting person. And I, I say he was profanely human. Profane. So talk about that that concept because when you, we think about something, we don't think like that in terms of we think of robotic type of people or people with communications deficits and things like that. There's so many stories about Bill, and I think this dedication may be the best chapter of the book. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of them. Um, one is uh, John Scully recruited him to Apple to be in charge of all yep. the marketing and sales, yep, and he I and Floyd Kwame made that fateful decision, which the board had advised them not to, to which run was? the 1984 ad. Do you remember that? Yes, to yes, launch yes, the Macintosh? Yes. Uh-huh. Bill was right there at ground zero, and then he started Claris Company mm-hmm. with a promise from Al Eisenstadt and Scully that if it was successful, they could probably take it public. Mm -hmm. Apple reneged on that promise, and that gave me my opportunity to recruit him in one of my most famous failures. Yeah, Remember Go? Go, the pen, yeah. (laughs) Bill used to say should be called Go, Going, Gone. All the money gone, or all the, I think all the money gone, or Go. But but the five. It was a pen, explain, it was a pen. Well, it was an iPad, 20 years too early. It was, and General Magic was the other one. Were you in that one too? No. No, okay, it was like that. There were two of them, Go and General Magic. Both of which showed the way to where things were going for sure. But the important lesson for me was the power of the amazing team Mm -hmm. that Bill recruited and worked with around them. Why didn't it work at Go then? Uh, the technology didn't work. Okay. There's that. So no matter how <laughs> good your OKRs, if your technology doesn't work, it doesn't matter. There's this really important feature that yeah. you put your finger on, and that's right. called the it works feature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have to have that. You have to so have that. So when you say it doesn't matter what the idea, it kind of does in some ways. You have to have a good idea, correct? It's much better to have a good idea. Yes, it's, it's much It's essential better. that the idea Can works. Can you shove a bad idea with OKRs? Can that, or not a bad idea, a fair idea? Because one of the things you were saying. You, you, can, you, can, you can push a bad objective, mm-hmm. and maybe Zenefits is an example of that, right? Right, so get, they, explain. Well, Zenefits had free HR software mm-hmm. to allow people to manage their benefits and then would create a marketplace right. to serve those. 
grew fantastically rapidly, right? But didn't have quality key results to measure the goodness of the offering. Mm-hmm. Is, is the way I'll put it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, in pursuit of growth at any cost, uh, employees broke the law. They wrote uh, scripts that would substitute for them going through the necessary regulations mm-hmm. in uh, in states, and and so. Some really good people have stepped in there to, to try to turn that around. But right. Transparency of the goals, accountability, tracking. What we're doing. Choosing the right goals. Right. Should have averted right. that disaster. So just in general, I mean, how many, uh, you know, Zenefits is obviously a great example. I mean, there are now obviously, you know, dozens of, of high-profile startups that behave badly. I mean, how many of these stories, if you... I believe in every one of those cases, yeah. if they had clear and transparent goals that were adopted throughout the organization, it would be unlikely that they would have those problems. And do you think that those things don't happen because it's, the, you know, as you were saying before, it's a CEO who fails to set it or is any I, of it? I, I think they've never done before what they're doing. They, right. they didn't, I had the good grace of being mentored by Andy Grove. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this book hoping it would be useful. Mm-hmm. And, and my dream is that OKRs become a kind of movement. Right. That we, we go way beyond Johnny Appleseed, John Doerr. Mm-hmm. And, and we use these in our families, in our schools, even in our governments. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sylvia Matthew Burroughs used OKRs to coordinate the Ebola crisis. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we used these in city or local governments, that, that that was the norm, that level of transparency and accountability and, and willingness to stretch. So when, when, I'd like to answer today's question because you, oh, yeah, sure. you have these companies that – that don't want to do that. They don't want to be transparent. And and some have been very successful doing it. They have. You know, I think a lot of they're, people would they're, think they're, Microsoft in the early days was not transparent. It was very top-down. They did some things that got them in a big trouble. Um, how do you – how do you? because it can work to do it the other way. But where does that in, stop? In, in, where my, does in, my, stop? in my time in Silicon Valley, right. I've seen a range of cultures. Right. And of this, I'm sure. There's no one right culture. Mm-hmm. It needs to be adapted to the people, and created, in fact, owned by the people in, in, in the business. Um, there are missionaries and there are mercenaries. Mm-hmm. And I've seen both cultures succeed. There's stark differences between the two of them, and you recognize what they are when you walk into these organizations. Right. Smart job applicants say, am I going to be a culture fit? For in, this particular thing. For this missionary or mercenary uh, set of values, right? And when you're making those investments, do you think about that's the con- is, there, I do. is there a preference? You oh, don't sure. want to be part of a mercenary uh, culture, presumably. I, no, I don't. But uh, any entre- any entrepreneur who tells me they're not interested in making money, yeah, is probably not telling me the truth. Right, I get that. But I'm saying when you're making, is there a decisions that you've made when you've looked at the companies that maybe won't that you think can't do this? Is there one company where you went, no, I I can't even though it's a great opportunity? Because you are a venture capital to make money, presumably. Sure. I think uh, properly presented with a commitment from the leader, uh, this works. I I get that. But what I'm saying is what have you passed on that you see that they're not going to be committed? Is there there a company you've met where you've gone, I'm not going to do this because they're not going to be committed to either transparency or, or thinking like this? Is it, is, is it how you judge companies you're going to invest in? No, no. I make the judgment before I introduce them to mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. this way of growing. To a certain extent, I'm sure you're kind of gauging their willingness to... I, 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 I ask, I ask a softer set of questions. What's your vision for your business? 
what kind of team are you going to recruit? How much equity are you prepared to offer them mm-hmm. uh, to, to do that? What who, what other entrepreneurs do you really admire? Right. Those those kinds of questions will give me a good enough sense of. Do you have a cult? What's the mission for mm-hmm. your organization? Mm-hmm. And for a while, everybody wanted to be the Uber of this. Yeah, Uber, yeah, Uber they that. did. That's, nobody that's, wants that. Well, that's, well, maybe now. Maybe that's not a mission. Right. 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 A mission. A, 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 a slogan. That's all you need. Right. Yeah. All right. When we get back, we're talking to John Doerr about his book, Measure What Matters, How Google, Bono, and the Gates Foundation Rock the World with OKRs, which are objective and key results. Yes. See, thank you. When we get back, we're going to talk about where Silicon Valley is, uh, where John Doerr is, what he's interested in, and everything from diversity to uh, figuring out the next phase of Silicon Valley. Today's show is brought to you by Freshly. Meal kits are so last year. Freshly is a new way to get dinner on the table in no time. Their chefs send you delicious, freshly prepared meals so you can eat better without any of the work. No cooking or cleanup required. Their meals are delivered to your door fresh and ready when you are. Just heat them up when you're hungry. Freshly's chefs and nutritionists make sure that every meal is all natural, nutritious, and also made with high-quality ingredients. So now you can come home late and still have a delicious chef-cooked meal waiting for you. Just choose from their rotating menu of 30 options. I would tell you my favorite meal, but when it was sent to my house, my sons ate everything and I did not get a bite, so I'm waiting for another box from Freshly soon. Try Freshly and you'll see what it's like to put zero effort into making dinner. Go to Freshly.com slash decode, get $25 off your first order of six meals. That's $25 off plus free shipping at Freshly.com slash decode. I'd also like to tell you about one of our other podcasts, Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who'd you talk to this week? I talked to Josh Topolsky, who, among other things, is the CEO of The Outline. He's someone you used to write about back when he was at Vox and you were not at Vox. He's doing a cool and sort of uh, counterintuitive media company right now called The Outline. He's got really interesting thoughts about Vox and the media and Michael Bloomberg, what it's like to fight with Mike Bloomberg in Mike Bloomberg's office and then get fired. It's a good conversation. You will enjoy listening to it. Sounds great, Peter. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're here in the red chair with John Doerr, the chairman of the venture capital firm Kleiner Perkins. He was the original investor in Google and Amazon and a board member. He continues to be a board member at Google, but now he's the author of a book, Measure What Matters, How Google, Bono, and the Gates Foundation Rock the World with OKRs. Um, We're going to finish up talking about where Silicon Valley is, John. One of the controversies around this book was your co-author you removed for issues around, I think it was sexual harassment, correct, Or, or, or issues around it. Everyone in Silicon Valley has been impacted by these issues. Um, and right now with the Facebook hearings and everything else, there's it's a moment for Silicon Valley. Maybe you don't agree with me that it's a moment of reflection of who we are, what we're doing in Silicon Valley. I love your thoughts on that. No, I agree. I think we're in many ways we're at a really critical moment, but not just for Silicon Valley. Right. Certainly for Silicon Valley, right. but, but for the country. Um, I think uh, some of our leaders— and some of our great institutions have really um, failed us. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes the leaders are bad and unethical, but uh, too often these institutions have set the wrong objectives and the wrong key results driven to those, producing totally unacceptable outcomes. Uh, Wells Fargo mm-hmm. would, would, would be an example. Right, of but that. I want to talk about Silicon Valley because you've been a leader here. So what has, what have, if you had to assess your leadership or the leadership of the large leaders, what would you say 
because uh, it, it, it does feel like there's an abrogation of responsibility. I, you know, the Facebook hearings certainly started people questioning, like, are these companies on our side? Um, people are worried about robotics. They're worried about AI. They're worried about the Uber, of course, put a big black stain on Silicon Valley for a while. Or they're, maybe they're, not. They're, they're worried about the future of work. Future of work, which I think, you know, is a big interest of mine. And diversity. And diversity. So let's talk about diversity. Right. I think, you know, I have zero tolerance mm-hmm. for any work environment. That isn't comfortable, right? And uh, for me, diversity is not a matter of social justice, though that's very important. Diverse groups make better business decisions. Mm-hmm. We know that, and so uh, the tech industry broadly is pathetic in this regard. And the well, venture industry works. Why, t- talk about why is that? You went through it yourself with a, t- a famous trial. Like, what did that do to you? What did it make you think? When you when you think at the end of, of your own leadership, and at the same, you know, and again, I, I ask this of Marx: What does it make you think of? Uh, not Marx. When I when I talk to him, I'm going to talk to Mark about this. What does it make you think? What this was the outcome? What did you learn from that? And then what does it do? Like if you're objective and key results. Well, uh, a, a lot's been said about that. Right. It, bringing up again makes me sad. Yeah. And but I'm saying, what did you learn from it? From your sure. from moving on. What I learned is we have to do more. Right. And I was pretty proud of the record of diversity at Kleiner. Mm-hmm. 21% of our investing right. professionals are female. You do, in female. fact, have more female investors. It's 9% for the venture industry overall. Mm-hmm. And of the major Sand Hill Road firms, I'd say half of them have no female they do not. senior investing partners. Right. We've had them ever since I had a say about it right. at Kleiner. But what has to happen as a leader? In, what has to happen? Well, the the most important thing we need to do is get more women in power. Mm-hmm. We need to get them on boards. We need to back them as entrepreneurs. We need to uh, uh, explicitly train our organizations about unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. The data shows that makes a difference. Uh, other things that we're, we're doing at Kleiner Perkins is we set up a mentoring network to mm-hmm. find more female board members. Right. Um, and we're working on the pipeline. I think you know there's a program called the Kleiner Fellows Program. Mm-hmm. It's harder to become a Kleiner Fellow than it is to get into Harvard. And we have now hundreds of alumni of this program. In 2013, 10% of the Kleiner Fellows were female. Okay. This year, 50% are female, and 11% of them are African American. So talk about this in the OKR system. So your objective was... My objective was to build more diverse organizations because Mm -hmm. they make better decisions. As measured by the Kleiner Fellows Program, year after year, would get to a higher level of equally qualified, diverse candidates. Okay. So that's one key result, right? Right. That's a key result. What else? Uh, To ensure that all the boards of Kleiner companies have uh, diversity at the board level. How do you you try and implement that? I mean, obviously— Okay. Yeah. You have to work at it. You have to declare it's a priority. You have to measure it. And you've got to get up in the morning and say, I'm going to recruit until I can make no further progress against that goal that very day. Right. Mm-hmm. So what is the problem? Because these numbers don't move. They don't. They don't. They don't. What do you no, imagine? No, the, the Kleiner Fellows numbers have moved. Perhaps. I'm talk- I want you to talk about it as a leader of Silicon Valley. What, what is at the heart of it where it just doesn't change? From your perspective, you've got to be looking you know, at a larger landscape. I care about the larger landscape. Yeah. I can speculate why it doesn't okay, change. Please do. There's very competent leaders in mm-hmm. Silicon Valley, and they haven't prioritized it. Hiring is hard. Right. Hiring is hard. Right. I like to say that if, if you've got a team of 14 or 18 engineers in your startup and none of them are of diverse backgrounds, you're screwed. Right. You're never going to get a talented, diverse candidate to work there because they're going to look around and say, 
that's not for me. Is it the obsession of VCs of pattern matching sometimes? I'm tr- I try to, like, take it apart. And is part of it, I do think, is basic misogyny. Part of it is uh, pattern matching. Part of it is comfort levels. It just, it all spills in, but it ends up with the same thing, with the same result, I guess. It, to me, it seems like that. I think you're right. So where is Silicon Valley in this very important issue? I mean, I think, obviously, it's important to you, but it's very important to me and many others. And it seems like almost intractable if you wanted to have an objective, which they all talk about, but they, it never happens. So where, where, where is that in an OKR thing failing? I think it fails when people don't agree that this is one of the few really important things we've got to get done, when they don't make it an OKR. So it's not an objective for, for the industry, you think, that you think there are other folks out there who say other objectives are, I want to focus on growing the company as quickly as possible. I want to raise as much money as I'm, I'm possible. Focus on raising my next round. Right. I want to focus on finding product market fit. I want to focus on trying to recruit AI engineers. How can I possibly compete with the big tech companies to hire right. them? So how do you change that? You make it an objective. But I get that. But how do you get them to change it? Like what, what has <laughs> to happen? You get them to make it an objective for themselves. So how? I'm in board meetings with people you and I deeply, right. deeply respect and yeah. admire. And I'll say, where are the female engineers on our team? Mm-hmm. What are we going to do to hire them? And you know what they do then in response to that question? Mm-hmm. They go back to MIT and they have hackathons. Mm-hmm. They discover that 50% of the engineers there are female. And they're really bright and capable. Mm-hmm. So we get outside our comfort zone. So when do you imagine it changing? What's my forecast? Yeah. Quarter after quarter, it doesn't seem to make it. They're <laughs> down at 20%. Perhaps they're not stretching themselves, John. <laughs> I, they need a stretch goal. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. So why not? What do you think? When, give me your, your prog- Where is the progress going to be made? I think more progress. Well, I, Kara, I don't know. Yeah. That's, see, that's what I'm saying. The leaders don't know. That's what, you don't know. when. No, it, when, I know what to do. Right, You right. asked me for the forecast of when the so, job will be done. When will, when will 25% of the senior investing professionals in the venture capital yes. industry be of diverse backgrounds? Yeah. I think it's a priority now in every firm. Right. You think it is a priority? I do. Not just for numbers. Well, I think they'll measure whether or not yeah. they achieve okay. it with numbers. So I um, don't know what that means. I want to finish up on the last uh, part of this, which is responsibility of Silicon Valley, of understanding. There's been a huge backlash uh, against Silicon Valley, I think people feel. Or maybe you don't agree with me. Many, Some people think there hasn't been. But I think there definitely is a feeling. Obviously, Trump is quite seems anti-tech, although you never know. He just says things off the top of his head. But there is, a, I think, a lizard. He's touching into a lizard brain idea that tech is not good for everybody, that it has created enormous disparity. There's been uh, nervousness over jobs, um, over the ideas that the, some people have gotten obscenely wealthy here and aren't thinking of the next steps. Do you part, agree part, with that or not? Well, part of this is not new. Mm-hmm. I remember at the start of the internet era, there were a lot of concerns about whether or not technology widened or narrowed the gap between the rich and the poor. In my view, and I think the data shows that left to its own, it widens the gap between the rich and the poor. Mm -hmm. And education, the kind of work that Reed Hastings does with charter public schools, and that I care a lot about, is is the counter force to create upward mobility and opportunity. Uh, We used to say that the new economy may not have a lot to offer a retired steel worker in Indiana, Mm -hmm. but it can do a lot for his family. Right. for the next generation. So that was true then. I think it's still true now. What I believe is 
different about this this moment in time is uh, the internet industry leaders uh, understand that privacy is paramount. There's no internet company that's not re-examining and focusing on uh, their use of mm-hmm. data to offer free services. Uh, for some of the internet companies, there's issues besides privacy. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's issues around fake news and, mm-hmm. and, and the authenticity of, of, of how their networks are being used. I think that the leaders of the tech companies need to move from where they've really wanted to be popular and liked mm-hmm. to where they're respected. And we should be going for respect because of the way that we run our organizations, not that we're in a personality-driven So what was it about it that contest. they missed it? I really think they missed it, and they now want to pass well, I think this. I think those that missed it didn't have clear, correct objectives. Mm-hmm. It goes back, suppose Sundar had said, the goal for Chrome is to make as much money as we can. That wasn't the goal. The mm-hmm. goal was to get the internet to be faster right. and right. keep it open right? and to transform the experience. Right, but say Facebook. The goal was to grow as fast as can. Look what happened. I wasn't inside Facebook. No, I know you I weren't. But I don't do, know do those. You know what I'm I saying? It's well, the, I don't know what those goals No, but do you, do you like when recently when I interviewed Tim Cook, he talked about, he made one remark that was, I think, quite cogent about the issues around Facebook. Went off like a Roman candle with them. They got immediately defensive. They didn't want to. And he was making an adult statement about their inability to take responsibility for themselves. And everyone was like, was was gasped inward as if it was the biggest thing in the world. Is it a growing up moment for Silicon Valley right now? I guess from my vantage point, I've seen Silicon Valley grow mm-hmm. every year, every decade, through every wave. Uh, tech has gotten to be so pervasive and so much a facet of every part of our lives that um, I think the fake news issues, the Russian hacking of our elections, and the lack of economic progress for all Americans has caused these issues to come to a boil. Come to a boil. All right, last question. Um, What's your OKR for the next? Are you going to keep being a venture capitalist? Yes. For how long? Uh, until they ask me to leave. <laughs> what is that going to be? What, what, is, well, your, what is your so, OKR? So, give me two OKRs, one personal. One personal. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, one. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example of a personal OKR in mm-hmm. the past, and, the, and then I'll give you one of my Kleiner OKRs. But okay. uh, when I was offered the opportunity to become chair of Kleiner, which means I join all the investment committee meetings, I advocate investments, mm-hmm. bring them to our partnership first. Ted, I, and others agreed the most important thing we needed to do at Kleiner as Kleiner has done for decades, is recruit the next generation of leadership. Which you guys have done over the last six months at it, I, right? I, I really think so. I, we're not done yet. I'm very proud of our, our, our team, and I'm getting feedback. You know, Mamoun Hamid, uh, Ilya Fushin, the, mm-hmm. these are talented venture investors. The team running our growth fund led by Mary Meeker is, mm-hmm. is, is equally talented. So Kleiner's in a very good place, but it's competitive. Yeah, how do you feel about the giant SoftBank fund and everything else? Must be like, ah. I, I love being with Masa. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like all his money throwing around, washing all around? You know, I'm, uh, he's invested in one company I serve on the board of, DoorDash, right. and I, I think they're going to add a lot of oomph yeah. to a very but capital-intensive a business. $535 million of oomph. That's right. Yeah. So. How does it feel like when that's coming in? You used to be like, that. you used to have the most money. 
and now you don't. <laughs> like nobody does. You know, I think the amount of value you can generate in the venture business is is not a function of how big a check you write. Let's hope. Let's see. Let's see about that. So, what's the personal OKR? What's your? Uh, so, I I had one. You know, my, my daughters have both left home, but mm-hmm. I had read and I believed that having family dinners together was a good thing. So, right. I set an OKR, shared it with my team to be home for dinner by six p.m. twenty nights a month and be present. Mm-hmm turning off the phone. So put a switch on the router, we shut down internet mm-hmm. to the whole house. Oh. That's the hard part. But, right. but it, well, you see, it, it's not only the quantity, but the quality. Right. And so this is important for Zenefits and every, you want to, the book says, you want to pair quality goals with quantity goals. And honestly, I struggled to meet that goal. Yeah. Try being home for dinner by, what, with, with, people, with people you love, well, sometimes less than half. Oh no. <laughs> do you have a new one? I do. You're not going to say it? No. All right. Okay. John, thank you. It was great talking to you. Again, his book is called Measure What Matters, How Google, Bono, and the Gates Foundation Rock the World with OKRs. And it's all about how to achieve goals. It has a forward by Larry Page of Google, which is terrific. You should read it. I'd I'd like to get across the point that I'm hoping this becomes a movement bigger Mm -hmm. than me. And so I've created a website called whatmatters.com where we're going to tell monthly ongoing stories. You're doing a Sheryl Sandberg here. You're pulling. Oh, I don't don't have that level. (laughs) No, she's a machine. Don't even try to. I'm not in that. Yeah. So you're you're putting it together to to get, have people workshops or. or, or So so, so my dream is, Mm -hmm. is, is that OKRs can be used by teams in every facet of our life, not just our businesses or even our nonprofits, but Mm -hmm. they can be used in our families and our our schools and our governmental institutions. Mm -hmm. So to that end, there's a companion website for the book called Mm whatmatters.com. And it uh, has stories in it of other people using OKRs to achieve exactly those goals. All right. Thanks a lot. Um, It was great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And special thanks to Teddy Schliefer for joining us too. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcast for more. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about the show. This helps them discover great interviews like this one. Now that you're done with this, you should check on our other Recode Radio podcasts. On Recode Media with Peter Kafka, you hear no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference, which is coming up, and Code Media. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. Today's show is brought to you by HBO. New internet, new problems. HBO's Silicon Valley takes its two-reel satire of tech culture to the next level this season as Richard Hendricks pivots his startup to develop a decentralized internet. It turns out the road to an autonomous peer-to-peer network is paved with misguided car purchases, stealth acquisitions of pizza apps, and lots of public puking. And, of course, an ICO. No one said launching a startup was easy, but it sure is funny. Get new episodes of Silicon Valley Sundays at 10 p.m. on HBO. Hi, this is Dan Fromer, Editor-in-Chief of Recode. We're conducting an audience survey and want to hear from Recode Decode listeners. We're interested in hearing your thoughts about how we can better serve you on this podcast and in all the places and platforms where Recode has a presence. The survey is completely painless and will take just five minutes of your time. To share your thoughts, just head to recode.net slash survey. That's recode.net slash survey. 
And thank you for being a member of the Recode community. And thanks in advance for helping us continue to improve.